Hello and welcome to the BIF podcast, a podcast about absent-mindedness, forgetfulness, general learning disabilities, and any slight or subtle cognitive deficiencies. I'm your host, MJ, and it's been a minute, uh, but I'm very happy to be back and to give you another episode today, our first interview, as you can see in the show notes. Um, as with anything that you do the first time, <laughs> there's a bit of a trial and error process, and some of the audio is going to have a little background noise. I did my best to clean it up uh, without sacrificing some of the sound quality, so uh, just keep that in mind. But but overall, uh, I think uh, you'll be able to listen to it, listen to everything pretty well. I also want to make a note: we do talk about ABA in the 48th minute for about five or six minutes, and we make a certain point about uh, certain philosophies about autism i do want to say that i do believe that aba dtt uh functional behavioral services are effective uh services to teach functional skills to to kids with autism um i think the point that we were making in this was a it was a bit of a more general over overall view of autism so hopefully that helps out i hope you enjoy the show now today is a very special episode I have a guest today, my first guest ever. He is, his name is Raul Munoz, and he is a mental health clinician, a support group leader, organizer, public speaker. He has a BA in psychology from UC Merced and a master's of social work from USC. He worked in the past serving the disabled population, particularly adults with intellectual disabilities as a life coach, consultant, case manager, and counselor. He's a board member. He has led countless support group meetings, given many speeches, posted YouTube videos, and participated in advocacy and support group organizations. And one last thing, Raul has autism. Yes, you heard right, he is autistic, but it obviously has not prevented him from accomplishing so much and contributing so much to his community. So, Raul, thank you so much for joining us today at the BIF Podcast. How are you? I'm doing just as well. Uh, MJ, thanks so much. Happy to hear, be here, and thank you for that awesome introduction. No problem. So, Raul, I've seen many of your YouTube two videos, particularly your speech at the Autism Chalk Festival, which I thought was an amazing, eloquent, heartfelt speech, a very intense speech full of a lot of pointed and extremely important points. And I, I'm definitely, most of my, my interview today is going to be breaking down that speech because I really think you did a good job of really summarizing what you're all about, what your what, you know, neurodiversity is about, what your goals are, what you want to see happen. But before we get to that, we're going to get to kind of your background and, um, and then we're going to get to the deep stuff, okay? Right. So, um, uh, but why don't we start with this? Why don't you briefly describe what, in your words, is neurodiversity and how you found out about it and when? Yes, of course. So to me, uh, the term neurodiversity means a diversity of different cognitive styles. So different, different ways of thinking and different cognitive abilities, uh, regardless of any, any differences in cognition and intellect. Uh, and so on, or oh, neurology, and so on and so forth. I first came across this term about five years ago, okay. as I was like, 
um, and the in my own personal journey of coming to like uh, acceptance of my of me being autistic and me being involved in and facilitating support groups okay. for yeah for the past yeah I believe so um, I'm gonna stop you right there so how old are you can you tell everyone how old you are I'm 32 right now 32 so you first found out about this five years ago you were 27 27 right yeah right around yeah okay so kind of late in your life a little bit mm -hmm. okay so go ahead sorry so you found out about it when you were about 27 and then what happened yeah and so from there I uh yeah so I began to like um look into the term further in your diversity and yeah and I I've come to find that it does have what well, it, it the term near diversity it it was first coined by and another like fellow near divergent autistic uh, individual named Judy Singer back in the uh, 1990s mm -hmm. and and I believe that she drew an inspiration on that concept or that word uh, through the disability rights movement here in the U.S. back in the uh, late uh, 1960s, early. What was her name again? Judy Singer. Judy Singer. Okay. Did she write a book about it or? Yeah, like yeah, she. Uh, I believe that uh, that that's that as she was like pursuing her education, her doctorate, that is where she came to coin that term near diversity. Okay. In the 90s. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's been around for a bit. Okay, now, what can you tell us about? Um, so you told us about that. Now, where did you grow up? Obviously, you're 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 in and you're in Los Angeles now. Where did you grow up? Um, how would you describe you know your childhood and and kind of how you got diagnosed and just? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I. I grew up in uh in South oh South L oh. I grew up in South LA uh yeah which is a a portion in in Los Angeles that's considered to be underfunded under-resourced and underprivileged and and um some of my, some of my earlier memories of me being a child is that I had trouble speaking I had trouble managing my emotions um, believe it or not I also would get in trouble in school too or I would be like a kind of a little troublemaker as mm. well um, and no <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> All right. yeah I know yeah I I find that I find it hard to believe looking back uh, especially like how yeah how much more um, calm I've grown uh, over the years, thankfully, although I can still have like my like moments where or I'll feel like a lot of like frustration, depending of like depending mainly depending if like if I have a lot a lot of hardship going on in my life or if I see or experience any kind of injustice being done unto me or others, then that's where I tend to like feel yeah like a sense of frustration but anyway going back to like how i came to be diagnosed mm -hmm. um i apparently got diagnosed when i was like five years old mm. uh, because that was also the age where 
I apparently, according to my family, were, yeah, five years old is when I first... Uh, first came into school, kindergarten? Right, yeah, not only like kindergarten, but also like that's when I uttered my first word too. Oh, okay, interesting. Right, right, whereas like with most of the population, they will say their first words maybe like a year or two uh, of their lives, but for me, and yeah, and many others with like any like speech delays. Um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't say my first word until I was five years old, and so at the time, I yeah, I think my mom at the time, like she had concerns about why that was, and so she got me to be evaluated, and and yeah, that's how I came to be. Yeah, with with like my speech delays and like my me like having trouble, I guess adapting to like to strike like like the structure of my of the classroom or fitting in with my peers that's how i got to be diagnosed so were you put the spectrum in, were you put in special education i i was yes i was for for how long for the entire school the time you were in school or for for part of the time yeah i was um in special education um for most of my my school years up until up until I believe fifth grade was when um, my teacher at the time noticed that that I was able to like comprehend certain things pretty well in academics to the point where where I was given at yeah one or two mainstream uh, courses uh, in in the K through twelve LUSD system okay. Okay. and yeah and I. I was, yeah, so I had like one or two mainstream courses uh, up through middle school and and the rest in special education and then uh, up until ninth grade was when um, I had another teacher who who like like believed in my academic mm-hmm. abilities further to the point where she was able to advocate for me to be fully mainstream, which eventually happened, like once I got into tenth grade. Okay. So. That's gonna be my next question. So okay. You got yeah, fully yeah. mainstream at tenth grade. Mm-hmm. All regular classes. Yep. Interesting. Okay. And did you still go to high school in South LA at this time? Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. So so you were mainstream in tenth grade in high school. I'm yeah. I'm imagining since you obviously have your master's degree, you got your bachelor's degree. What were your grades like? in high school I mean, imagine they were pretty good for you to have the 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 desire and the and the faith that you can go to college How, what, like were you were you getting pretty good grades yeah for the most part yeah yeah starting was, from high school or before high school uh before high school yeah before okay. high school i would get like mostly a's a couple of b's and at least one or two c's okay i never i never got a d or f in all throughout um, K through 12, thankfully. So yeah. not only did you mainstream, but you were getting A's and, or A's and B's. Or when did you get the idea? Like, I want to go to college. I want to be. And and did you know what you wanted to be, or did you just want to go to college? When when did that start to form in your mind that you wanted to do that? Yeah, I think the the idea of me wanting to go to college. Uh, formed when I was like 
Yeah, either um, a little bit in 10th grade, but then it it was like further developing when I was in 11th grade. Because, uh, yeah, in 11th grade, I, I also remember having like having like a a college counselor on campus at the time where, yeah, she also like saw my, I guess like my academic potential and, and she, she had a lot, like a lot of faith in me to, to, uh, for me to go to college, which I was really, really grateful for. And, and from there I, yeah, I, um, yeah, I also had like a good few teachers too, um, throughout high school too. Okay. that also believed in me. Well, actually, most of my teachers throughout high school were pretty cool to me, but... Did you know in high school that you wanted to be... Uh, well, what did you get? You s I said it earlier, you got your uh, degree... What, your bachelor's degree was in... Psychology. Psychology. And then you obviously got your master's in... Um, social work. Social work. Um, did you know already what you wanted to be when you were going to go to college, or did you just, I just want to go to college? Did you know what your major was going to be already? Uh, yes, I d did. Although when I first went to college, I actually initially uh, study started by studying something different, mm -hmm. that being computer science. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, yeah, because back then, um, or at least growing up, I I was much more of a gamer back then, where I really enjoyed playing video games. Oh, okay. and video games. Okay. Yeah, and I guess in a way, like video games at the time, um, was like my outlet to, I guess, cope with any isolation or struggles for me to connect with my peers. Mm -hmm. For me at the time, I was playing uh, video games, whether like RPGs or action games. So yeah, I, f I found interest in wanting to help develop video games uh, when I was a teenager and, th and throughout was, high school. Was that your actual major when you first started? Mm -hmm. or no? It was, and then you eventually changed to psychology? That's right, yep. Okay, interesting. Okay, and then when, so at this point you just, you wanna just go to college, you wanna go, you wanna be a gamer or, or a video game developer, sounds like. Mm -hmm. um, when, did you and and we're gonna be brief because I'm gonna get to your speech. I really want to break down your speech. But when did you decide? You know what? Maybe I should take a turn and do something through psychology. When when was that? Like exactly? Yeah, that was. Uh, yeah, I would say like the second year of undergrad, where yeah, I started to like. Yeah, in some ways, I was having trouble. I was having trouble with understanding the material, and and um, yeah, and then yeah, and in another way, I looking back, I also did not have like the the self advocate skills, self advocacy skills back then that that I do now for me to even be able to uh, better advocate for more services. Um, back then such as like more tutoring or even seeking uh any services from the my campus's disability office Interesting. um yeah so those were things that yeah at the time i yeah they were not so you weren't using any of those um services right at all not at all right now obviously people that have listened to this podcast before know that i used to work in um uh which was called the regional center 
mm-hmm. and we yeah. used to we used to be case managers for people with disabilities and would you be comfortable sharing whether or not you were involved with them at all yes of course yeah so yeah initially i was uh i yeah i also like got integrated as a regional center client well when i was a kid but like when i got when i went to undergrad at uc merced for some reason uh i got my case got from there got like closed Mm. or um because by the way, were you living out? Obviously, you were living out there, right? Because it's yeah, Mercedes that's that there. too. Yeah, yeah. For those that don't know, Mercedes, Northern California, right? Yeah, middle, middle of California. Yeah, north, maybe. north of Fresno. I think I looked at yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you were living in the campus. That's a huge change. Yeah. You, were, you, you moved from here <laughs> to Merced to go to school. I mean, that for anybody, that's a huge adjustment, right? So you're saying you had you had regional center. Now I know from real quick, real fast. I know when I was at Regional Center, the people that you obviously were very, very capable. Even though you were had this diagnosis, you were getting A's in school, you got into college, you went to college. I remember people that I had in my case that were very capable, hardly got any services. Like we would mm-hmm. we would see them, you know, we would see our, our, our clients once a year, we'd go over their needs, and if they were very capable, like someone like I never seen anyone like you, by the way. I, you know, it's amazing what you were able to do. But I, I saw maybe a few people that were pretty capable that didn't, they didn't really need anything. So I think, and we're gonna get into this later. Sometimes, they're like, oh, they, they don't need anything. They're good. They're smart. They don't, they don't, they're fine, right? Kind of like, oh, okay, leave them alone. Maybe that's part of the reason. And I, and of course, if you moved somewhere, you you would have had to have con- had con- you would have had to have connected with the regional center in that area right but for whatever reason you said you got cut off so continue you were mm-hmm. you, you moved out there and you weren't you weren't getting services from them you weren't getting services from the university at all as far right. as disabilities so so what happened how did what turned what where did you you know where did you turn to where you decided uh, I need some support or, or, or what 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 changed in, in your transition to going into psychology and, and learning about advocating for yourself right yeah um yeah i think uh like what started to like slowly change for me is that yeah like at some point in my second year of um of undergrad and yeah and when i was like struggling with my former major at the time computer science uh yeah yeah and i looking back yeah it was like a combination of like uh, like the instruction just like not being presented in a way that was more helpful for me um, and yeah like and also like having to like uh, learn to accommodate to like different learning styles too among the different professors I had at the time and yeah and then there were a few other professors who would just simply tell the student to like google the answer and that wasn't helpful at all but interesting now did you um did you did you have a did you have any teacher say you know what um why don't you go try the disability office or did you yourself figure it out on your own like did you did you ever do that in in college uh no not at all no you never went and got any supports whatsoever you just did everything on your own 
Yeah, or at least during my undergrad years. Yeah, during my undergrad wow. years. Yeah, because yeah, because at that time too, I was yeah, I was also at a in a time where I was yeah, I was yeah, that came a lot due to me being in denial, really, uh, of me being of the thought of being like somehow different, because even though I was like I knew about my autism diagnoses. And I found out about it like around when I was 10 or 11 years old. I never really knew what that meant uh, when I was younger. Mm. Uh, I just thought it was something to be overcome. And I thought it was like something to, yeah, that was like a bad thing back okay. then. And so I wanted nothing, nothing. Oh, so you, you, want, you kind of wanted to hide it. You didn't want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You didn't want to accept that you had it. You wanted to pretend that it wasn't there and just. Right. Yeah. Yeah you know, rely on your skills and your abilities. Okay, mm -hmm. interesting. Okay, so then you did that, like you said, through your undergrad, and then um, did, you go to, did you go to grad school right away, or did you, did you wait for a while and then decide to go to grad school after, after some time? Oh, yeah, yeah. After, like, after I got my, my BA uh, from UC Merced, I... Yeah, I, I, t I took a break from school, although I began to work in different uh, type of job settings involving in working with those with like intellectual differences, uh, developmental differences like uh, autism. What was, okay. what was your first job when you got back? When you got back to L.A., mm -hmm. what was your first full-time job when you got out of school? My first job uh, when I... When I first graduated from um, UC Merced was as a teacher assistant at a at a at a high school in South LA and that was a full-time job though or part-time yeah at the time it was part-time okay what was your first like actual job from after getting your your BA like because it sounds like you you right away you started working with people with intellectual disabilities it sounds like for the most part is mm -hmm. that right yeah okay so you you it sounded like you were doing good um but but there was things that you because i mean i want to get to your speech in fact why don't why don't we i'm going to segue to your speech but something happened where you made the switch you were trying to pretend you didn't have this and you you were doing well by doing that, I mean, you you got good grades, you got into college, you you were able to go to a UC. I didn't, I can't even say that, you know. So you were able to do this, and I can understand that, you, you know, if you're able to do these things, you don't want to you you don't want to say, oh, I have I have this condition. I mean, why? I mean, I can do things. Why do I? Why should I even bring it up, right? Why should I say it or tell people that I have it, or whatever, right? Um, I'm imagining somewhere there was a switch. Mm -hmm. to where you said maybe I should you know be accepting of this and be open about it and and start working in this field now what I want to ask you is when you started applying for jobs would you say that you have this or wouldn't say it I mean because I don't think it, you need to disclose it I mean but would you even mention it or would it come up like would anybody find out like ask you the like, tell me about that, like in your first couple jobs, if you ever would mention it at all in your interviews, or if anybody ever wondered that you have it, or if you just kept it, you know, like, you know, like what do you call it, like what they used to say in the military, no, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> like, uh, how was that? 
Yeah, um, yeah, my f like in my first few jobs that I've had in, in my life, yeah, it was, I kept it more hidden. Mm -hmm. I did not disclose it at all in my first, my early jobs that I had throughout my life. Okay. Uh, it was something that at the time I, um, like I just like, it was like something that I wanted to know part of. It was something I didn't want to accept at that time. Mm -hmm. And you also mentioned something interesting too uh, in that, or in that there must have been a switch within me mm -hmm. for me to like slowly kind of come to terms of acceptance. And I would say that where that switch uh, started to happen is, yeah, I would say back in uh, undergrad too, because when I went to undergrad, I also like, in a way, I also kind of wanted to reinvent myself in a way where I wanted to like be more uh, social, I guess. I wanted to like have like more friends compared to like how I was uh, during high school where I was like more shy, like more withdrawn, just didn't know how to like uh, maintain those connections or really know how to like start basic conversations really. I would come up as awkward, really, and yeah. So whenever, I, like during undergrad, uh, I I would try to like go to like different like school events. I I also like dormed um, there at my first year, and I also had like roommates too. In subsequent years, I joined various clubs. I even joined the fraternity too. And sounds like a normal life. For a that, college yeah, student, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, and then um, yeah, in between doing all that, um, mm -hmm. there would al also come times where. No, sorry. Uh, when you were doing all this, you were roommates with people. Uh -huh. You were joining these clubs. Uh, you were you were uh, all this stuff. And at this time, you didn't tell anybody. Obviously, that you had autism. No, you didn't say it was. Did you say anything at all? Uh, for the most part, I kept it hidden. Okay. I think. Did, did uh, anybody uh, ever like wonder or say anything to you, like, "Hey, do you at all, by any chance?" Or what? No? I think uh, looking back, one friend kind of like. I remember one time, like, had like. Like I was having like a study session with, a few friends of mine at the time, and. Uh, and typically back then we would like study at on the campus library right. and and so yeah we had our like our study session like in a com couple of comfortable sofas and then there was like a, a table in the middle and when I get there when I sit down I noticed that there was like a you know, kind of like a article on autism or or like the some of the characteristics of autism mm -hmm. um my f friends at the time like uh they didn't like say anything about it but looking back i do kind of suspect that they were probably the ones who like put it there so, like so in a subtle way um okay. um but so, so it sounds like you didn't say anything you most of the time your friends didn't say anything but something inside of you, you felt like, okay, I want to I be more social. 
Is that kind of where the switch came from, from wanting to kind of blend in socially? Because academically, you were doing pretty good, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. But is that kind of where the switch came in? I would say so, yeah. Okay, okay. All right, so now we're going to get into your speech. Because I really, I really, I mean, I really want to get into your speech. It's amazing. Now, I'm going to paraphrase some high points. Now, for those that are listening, you can, I'm going to put on the show notes a link to that video of your speech and other, on other videos from you so that people can look, look you up. But right. this speech was done, uh, it's on YouTube. It was done at the Autism Chalk Festival, like I mentioned earlier. And I was listening it to it the other day, this week, I don't remember when. And I was blown away. It was only like nine minute video. But mm -hmm. I had to slow it down mm -hmm. and put it half time and take notes because there was so much you said. Like you, you, you mentioned so many heartfelt points, like I said, in such a short time. It's so compact. Mm -hmm. So I want to break it down and we can elaborate on these on, on the on the topics that you, mm -hmm. you bring up and, and, the, and the points so um, you said in your speech I'm going to talk about your and you, you, know, you can correct me but mm -hmm. the highlights of your speech that day again was in, uh, in 2019 it was in the summer of 2019 something like that uh, spring spring autism chalk festival right mm -hmm. so before we get into that that festival was it for people with parents with autistic kids or just adults with autism or both that was what was the audience for that? Yeah, the audience was mainly autistics, pretty okay. much, whether they were kids or adults. Okay. Although for obviously, like for kids, their parents could come along, but right. the overall purpose of that event is to pretty much celebrate autism and okay. and accept it as is, and allow uh, autistics to like chalk something that's dear to their heart and. And typically, there, yeah, like there are s some really, really talented uh, autistic artists that will draw, draw really, really nice. Okay. Uh, Was it a like one day event? Yeah, it's a one day event, and it. Who organized it? Uh, it's through an organization called Autism Highway, I believe. Yeah, Autism Highway, and I also know the founder of that of that organization too, Miss Kelly Green. She's a wonderful person too, and. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, she uh, organizes this event every year, although uh, she took a break uh, in previous years uh, due to COVID, but mm -hmm. she actually like brought it back this year, although on a much more smaller scale due to we, like us still being on a, in a pandemic, right. which yeah, I also like was grateful to attend this year, okay. uh, even if it was more scaled down compared to pre-pandemic oh, oh you so there was one this year there was yes oh, okay. it was but it, yeah it was like scaled down because okay. in previous years there there would be like more events or more activities at in the event and more people and okay. at the event but yeah this year it was like more smaller yeah due to okay. yeah kind of like a small rollout you know in a way like okay. post-pandemic okay. mm -hmm. all right so i'm gonna get to your your speech um i'm gonna break it down bit by bit as far as the points and it, you start out by saying and I'm just highlighting the points here autistics are highly marked I'm just gonna say how uh, to make it easier instead of saying autistic people is that okay to say autistics mm -hmm. okay autistics are highly marginalized either ignored unsupported underestimated or overlooked by peers families even organizations that claim to support autism this cycle blocks possibilities for a bright future 
and as a consequence autistics can develop inherent shame and internalize it for a long time with consequences being unrealized potential emotional pain and in some cases suicide so you even said the next thing you said is that you experience some of these consequences or hurdles you said hurdles mm -hmm. and you even said quote felt like hell on earth okay so that's that's a pretty strong statement <laughs> can you elaborate on these hurdles and 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 what you meant by it felt like hell on earth quote oh god <laughs> and you know I, whatever you feel comfortable oh my god <laughs> You know, um, and, and you know whatever you feel comfortable but but it's it's important for people to know what what it's like to struggle with this so yes of course um and wow well, uh, and it just uh it hits differently with someone um like reciting like yeah like my to you. yeah yeah and, but i really appreciate it and it uh -huh. really uh i'm really uh honored that that my speech that you got something out of my speech that and yeah and yeah the time and what i've grown to believe for people on the spectrum is that because they have like a different way of perceiving things or or a different way of communicating with others it can be hard for for like many people to try to understand what what autistics are trying to share with them mm -hmm. and 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 I know there's also like different um different uh various levels of autism too where there's those who who need like some support in some areas and not and little support in various areas depending on on where they fall and oh and also like their 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 um verbal abilities too whether someone has can communicate verbally like i can or whether someone c will need to communicate through other means like uh, sign language or an assistive uh, communication device. Okay. So, I, I want some things that I, I believe and I come to find that are in com in common with many autistics is, is that they have they can have like that struggle in understanding how, how certain things work, especially when it comes to, like the social aspect of things where. Of where like let's say if uh like just knowing like like the right way of like saying hi or how to respond in certain social situations or so social scenarios yeah like these could be things that those on the spectrum autistics can have yeah more challenges in in understanding mm -hmm. without like them being taught that knowledge and because of that, they will at times like try to communicate in ways, in, in their own ways. Um, and it might not come off as socially a appropriate as considered as what the norms may be, but, but they, are, they do try, but oftentimes their efforts can get ignored or, 
they may be did, shamed. Did you have a specific ex- or or a number of experiences, uh, maybe in college or whenever, that you felt like um, you felt cast out, you know, or or like you couldn't fit in, or you felt, you know, you got someone embarrassed? Like, is that what you meant? Like, because like, I think social skills, when I think about it. Um, because I, I had similar struggles, not exactly the same, but very similar, especially when I was younger, um, not, not knowing, you know, kind of not fitting in. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's tough when you're trying to fit in, when you're trying to make friends, when you're trying to, you know, pursue romantic relationships specifically. That's right, yeah. And so, um, and, and that's, I don't know if you, you know, you got your master's, so I'm very positive you've heard of this concept of the um, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of human needs have you heard of that one oh yeah of course yeah yeah mm-hmm. and you know as you know and I've talked about this briefly in a past episode that every human and they don't really teach this but they should every human being has these human hierarchy of human needs and at the bottom is like a pyramid right mm-hmm. at the bottom is the basic needs you know food shelter uh, all that stuff and then it's um, you know I, I don't remember the, the but but it goes it progresses from that to acceptance belonging you know and and love and then eventually self-actualization you know reaching your potential but most people we take it for granted you know that that you can make friends and, and, and you know have romantic partners and a lot of people you know it seems so easy for them like they don't even have to try you know what I mean? and yeah. it's such a but it's such an important part of a need it's a need you know it's an important part of being a human being and if, if we don't get those needs met, it it causes a lot of problems, you know, it causes a lot of pain, loneliness, depression, all that stuff, you know, it's, it's it, it has, like you said, it has consequences. And I'm wondering if that's kind of what you're alluding to, you know, you, you talked about how it's, it's tough to maybe know how to say hi, know how to do this, but it, you know, you can do, you can learn the basics, but when it comes to like, oh, I want to approach like, you know, I want to approach this um, this this female, or you know, if you're, you're whether you're heterosexual, homo, like whatever you are, you know, I want to approach this person because I'm interested in them, you know, romantically, and that's when it's harder, you know. And I'm wondering if that's something that you struggle with at all, or if you care to talk about it. Yeah, uh, some of my earlier memories of me going through that is, I would say back in high school, uh, ninth grade, where, um, yeah where I would want to like try to make friends with a certain group of peers at the time mm. and and um, yeah at the time I like social skills were not really fully developed at the time uh, I was like more shy back then too and okay. and so yeah so it was kind of like hard for me to, to like like know um, how to say hi or even like know how to keep up with any okay. any like of the social norms that were around at the time too among yeah especially when I was at that age back then and knowing how to fit in or knowing what will like make someone uh, what will make uh, someone uh, become considered uh, an outcast and and um 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would remember like me uh, trying to like uh, make friends. At one point, I did come across like a group of uh, of peers at the time, mainly during lunchtime, where I would see like a group of uh, uh, peers my age or around my age uh, playing. Uh, yeah, playing card games, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh card games. And yeah, that was also something I really liked to do back then. And that was like kind of my way of, I wanted that to be like my way of, um, I guess, connecting with others. Gotcha. And so um, at first, like when I first came came across this group, it was hard for me to like to really, to even approach them or even like ask, if I can duel someone or, or play with someone. It took me like a couple months, I think, to for me to, to overcome that fear of, mm-hmm. of, um, of like saying a word or, or even like asking someone if they wanted like to play a match against me. And yeah, thankfully I was able to get a match in. And you eventually and overcame that and, and, and kind of uh, fit in with them basically and yeah in some ways yes but then in some ways no because mm. one of the people I befri- befriended uh, there uh, also turned out to be a jerk too where mm. where um, yeah like where he would also like berate me if or insult me if like yeah like if yeah because at some point the wrong thing or weren't like hip to whatever right yeah, yeah yeah sometimes some people are just not nice you know <laughs> but that's it yeah you can take it like oh maybe it's because of what i am you know who knows right like, right I understand yeah yeah and then another instance too was was where another another person at the time also like stole a few of my cards too they were considered yeah kind of rare cards at the time and so stole them like, yeah like out of your backpack or something or uh, not in front of you, obviously, right? <laughs> actually, in front of me, but like, like, like he did it really fast oh, and sneaky. Wow. Yeah, which, yeah, I mean, back, yeah, it was upsetting back then. But now, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't really play that no more. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that did uh, kind of like affect me too in a way back then. And interesting. Now going back to your speech. So, after you said that, you said the next thing you said is. Fortunately, you said you got involved, so so you were facing a lot of these hurdles, like you were talking about earlier in your speech, and it felt like hell on earth. And then you said, fortunately, you got involved with the autism community, you received support from family and friends, and found ways to invest in yourself. And you're grateful that you were able to learn to accept yourself as you are, to love yourself, and to develop a stronger mindset and a stronger self sense of worth. So is this kind of in the college stage when did when did this happen when you started getting involved in the autism community and started getting support and you started to accept yourself when did, when around what part of what time in your life this happened yeah this mainly happened like after undergrad okay after, after yeah yeah and yep okay yeah how although did come about yeah and how that came about is that well yeah like when i eventually like changed my major from computer science to psychology. I also at the time came across some literature 
about what autism meant and of course uh, in the in the college setting it's uh, back then and I don't know how it is now but back then it was like described in a negative light where a lot of the focus is on the on the deficits or so-called deficits and not so much of the possibilities or the strengths Um, and yeah and then at the same time though part of me like was kind of like growing fed up with with having to like constantly find ways to I guess adapt or in a way that's really unrealistic for me or or try to like perform in a way that's considered quote unquote normal mm-hmm. which over time I've grown to believe uh, that there is no such thing as normal really <laughs> or at least that's what I've grown to believe over time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah because because back then I was also like constantly thinking of whether I had to like I had to like change my vocabulary or change my like my body language in different situations or even the way I dressed too mm-hmm. back then or whether I had to like keep up with latest latest fashion trends to for me to like I guess uh, to fit in so to speak but yeah and so all this like eventually I noticed within myself that it, yeah, it just got too stressful for me. It just hmm. became like overwhelming for me to for me to like have to constantly like fit in um, at the expense of me, really. So what what exactly happened? When so when did you say enough of this? I'm okay being who I am. I'm not going to try to buy the, 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 the latest fashion shirts or try to talk a certain way. I'm just going to be myself and trust that it's going to be good enough for my jobs and my relationships. When did, so you said that happened right after college. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it, was, but it sounds like it was a gradual problem. It wasn't like one day everything switched. Like it sounded like it took a little time, but eventually, right, yeah. okay, very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go back to your speech here. So you said... So it kind of happened right after you graduated and you just started to go through this self-discovery and self-acceptance journey. That's mm-hmm. what it sounds like, okay? Um, now it says here, your next your next point here is that you believe, now this is really, <laughs> I like this what you say here. You believe it's time for the world to embrace this harsh, now I'm paraphrasing, uh-huh. harsh but possibly controversial reality that there is no cure for autism. Okay, that autism is not a disease or a disorder. It's a different operating system, a gift, a superpower. So let's start with the first one. There is no cure for autism. Why is that such a bold statement? Why? Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, so like the whole idea behind that is because, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it just goes back to like my own like experience of, I guess, like having to behave in a way that's 
always kind of like try to like I guess uh, fit in with the norm mm -hmm. so to speak uh, it's me I guess like it yeah back then like it meant to me that like whatever things that were considered odd or different that I had to like eventually I guess quote unquote out, outgrow some of these things mm -hmm. uh, back then and and to also yeah in a way like try to appear quote unquote normal mm -hmm. when in reality that's not always the case that's not always feasible and if a person if an, if an autistic person is doing that constantly then that typically means that they either one they're they learned enough of these behaviors to the point where they're able to like mask mask an appearance of i guess how they can interact uh, with especially with uh, non-autistics or two they yeah in others they'll they will naturally I, I believe they can others they can naturally develop those like social skills over time mm. but for some I believe um, but not everybody but for yeah, because even within within autism, it's a it's a spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. Not not every person with autism is the same, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's the more functional that the, the term they use, high functioning and not so high functioning, but it's a spectrum, meaning that it's a range of levels of functioning or or capabilities, right? And I'm familiar with this again from my days in the regional center, where I saw all kinds of people. I saw everybody. I saw everything: autism, Down syndrome. You name it, right? Cerebral mm. palsy, all kinds of different um, developmental disabilities, as they were called at the time. And yeah, I would see some some with autism couldn't speak; they were nonverbal, mm -hmm. and that made it a lot harder. And they were, you know, obviously lowered what they were able to do. And obviously, there was on the other end, very, 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 very uh, verbal and able to communicate, but but with challenges with different um, uh, subtle things and you know, social skills and whatnot. So I think that's what you're talking about. That not everyone's different, but some can learn that you're saying social skills over time. But um, I kind of wanted to, my guess is that you, I just want to share something. You tell me what you think. Mm -hmm. when, I was, when I was at Regional Center, when I first started, my, most of my caseload were children from mm -hmm. zero to, or three to 18, right? Or three to 22. And so I was mostly dealing with the parents, right? Talking with the parents and whatnot. Mm. And a lot of them, uh, a lot of them really believe that they could cure autism. You know, at All that right. time, this was back in the mid 2000s when I was there, mid 2000s until the late 2000s. And there was a lot of theories, you know, and some of them, I don't want to, I don't want to discredit them. You know, so they could, I don't, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a, a psychiatrist or so, you know, but. There was a lot of theories uh, as far as what causes it. You know, some people thought that certain certain vaccines caused it, or certain metals in the vaccines, or some people uh, the gluten, the gluten diet exacerbated it. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of things. Right. Some people thought that um, if we get if I get my child the right amount of ABA in the home, you know, DTT, 
you know, behavior intervention programs in the home and at school that, it, that we're going to cure them. A lot right. of parents believe that. <laughs> and I think when they're, yeah. I think at the beginning when they're younger and the parents just find out that they, their child has autism, I'm sure it's, it's difficult, right? Because mm -hmm. it's, because now they got to deal with that reality. Like, what does that mean? Are they going to be like, you know, you're saying, are they going to be normal, quote unquote, right? Are they going to be mm -hmm. able to take care of themselves? Are they going to be able to work, blah, blah, blah. And so that's probably what they're thinking at the beginning. And they want to, as much as possible, you know, out of love, you know, I think out of good intentions. They want their children, they want to do the best that they can. They, they think to try to remove it, right? Or at least take, or cure it or, 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 or improve certain skills. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. There's certain skills that you can learn, but I think, I think you're absolutely right that it's it's wrong to think that to be in denial and to think that they can cure it completely. You right, know? Yeah. I think it's it's not the right way to go because from my experience, I'm gonna let you speak on this too. But from my experience and from what I've read too, I've read some some different studies that I have here that um, eventually a parent has to accept. Like at the beginning, there's a grieving period. When they find out that their child has a disability, because they're, 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 oh my God, you know, my child may not be able to do everything that everybody else can do. Maybe you don't know yet, right? But that that, that starts to go through their mind. There's a grieving period. But after that grieving period, they have to go through it, and they have to eventually accept it. And once they accept that their child has a disability, then they can, they, then they can figure out what their abilities are, mm -hmm. and figure out what. And, and figure out what's the best path in life to encourage him to go. And it's not the same for everyone. For you, you were able to get a master's. Maybe someone else, they can go be uh, whatever. They can, they don't have, not everyone can go to college, not even just normal people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just typical people can go to college, not everybody. But that doesn't mean everybody has a path according to their ability. And everybody has uh, strengths. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you have disabilities. Everybody has strengths. Right, so it's a matter of finding out what someone's good at, what they're capable of, and focusing, and and focusing on that, you know. And I think that what you said there that that's why I think what you said is so uh, important and so beneficial, because you have to be able to accept first what you have, and then work from there. Is that is that am I kind of on the same wavelength? Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd say that. Yeah, you pretty much uh, got the gist of what I was trying to convey when I, when I said that that aut that there is no cure to autism. Mm. Um, yeah, because yeah, because no, um, just because like someone's born autistic or have any other kind of like disability or any kind of differences. It it doesn't have to mean that that uh, that child will have like a less meaningful life compared to a typical child. It just means that they might more than likely they'll see things differently. They uh, they may struggle with in certain areas depending on on where they may add either on in autism or any other kind of cognitive difference okay. but it doesn't mean that that they are less than or it doesn't mean that that their that their life is hopeless so to speak um, 
and yeah and then also with the whole um as you were talking about like the whole ABA mm-hmm. um and all the other like these like these various theories which yeah I, I consider to be like quack <laughs> theories too and <laughs> where yeah it's just um uh-huh. yes yeah, a lot of nonsense really it's a lot of nonsense and yeah when others like talk about or at least like when um when i've heard other people or even certain organizations uh there's i know there's like many autistics know of one particular autism organization that used to peddle uh or used to advocate on wanting to like um promote a cure quote-unquote cure for autism and i think that's that too like the past messaging of this one big organization um i'll just say it autism speaks was mm-hmm. yeah was uh a messaging that a lot of autistics that i i came to know like uh found really offensive and eventually as i ca- came to to um to my own uh, to accept myself mm-hmm. eventually i grew to be offended by that kind of messaging too now to their credit they i mean their main mission doesn't uh no longer say that uh on their website i honestly don't keep up with with much of what autism speaks does only because i still kind of am like yeah still a little like uh still offended from their past messaging uh to this day where it's still I'm still kind of having a hard time approaching them, but but at least uh, it seems like on the outside they're they no longer promote or uh, wanting to seek a cure, and yeah, they're also like pretty like the well the most well known autism organization too, which they which means they also carry a lot of influence, right, and. Yeah, and also historically, uh, their leadership also consisted of non-autistics too, which also was a, an issue in the past. Uh, I hear it now. They, I mean, they have some autistic le- leadership now. Uh, again, I don't know too much of what they do now, but I know, like, or at least back then when I was like in my self-discovery journey. I mean, a lot of, yeah, it, was, it just was like. Yeah, no autistic leadership back then. Them wanting to promote a cure, quote unquote, cure, and yeah, or or promote like a way of yeah. To me, it it, it insinuated that 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 they probably wanted autistics to, I guess, act normal, quote unquote, or or not do certain things like. Uh, STEM, uh, oh, like so STEM too, can be like shaking up, stimulating, right, right, like ticks, things like that. Yeah, or like yeah, a lot. And a common one would be like uh, hand hand flapping for the younger kids, and it it also manifests in in other ways too, depending on the the person or yeah, or or anything that would be considered different so in their view. So you yeah, and, and I saw a lot of that in regional center where people wanted to reduce that because they. I think, uh, again, I think maybe it came from good intentions, but it's right. good to see your perspective. 
But I think they're thinking like, oh, the, the less people do these stim behaviors, like the hand flapping, like the more likely they, if they do this, they're not going to be able to, you know, they're going to, some people are going to not accept them. They're going to think they're weird. They're not going to hire them, that kind of thing. Right. And I think that's what they're looking at. But you're looking at it as like, no, don't make them feel ashamed. Like, focus on accepting them kind of thing, right? Sounds like. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I understand where you're coming from, you know, and, and especially, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about how my experiences kind of have a little bit similarities to, to, to yours, a little, you know, not the same, but there's similarities, but I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, so going back to your speech again, so you talked about, you, 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 you gave this incredible <laughs> reality that there's no cure for autism. It's not a disorder. It's not a disease. In other words, it's not, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something bad that you have to get rid of and cure. Instead, it's a different operating system. I think you mentioned in, in either your um, meetup description that it's a different learning style too, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's, it's a different learning style, different, different way of processing things, I guess. So we're going to get into that a little bit, but I think that's, that's what neurodiversity sounds like, what it's all about, you know? Now, um, now you continue with your speech and you say that the real disease is ignorance. That if ignorance is cured, it will lead to more understanding and happiness. And then you propose some solutions. You say that, you, you know, we should promote real awareness, love, and positivity. Get actual voices, actual autistic voices, to share their message and to believe in the autistic potential. So, um, I have a feeling, I have a hunch that this is kind of what everything that you're doing, going back to your 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 YouTube videos, the meetup group, and you know, being a board member of. Are you still a board member, by the way, of this? Um, yeah, of my regional center, actually, yeah. Okay, so you're doing that. Is that part of what you're trying to do is to promote awareness and, and, and get your voice out there? Is that kind of what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. And what? how else, like, are you trying to get other people to do the same? Or obviously you're, you're kind of leading, not leading, because you're not the only one, but you're one of the ones that I know that's doing this. Is that kind of mm-hmm. what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely, yes, absolutely. Okay, now... Let's get to your life at this moment. Um, can you talk about your life at this moment? Um, obviously, you're working. You're you're a full time clinician at the moment, and you're also mm-hmm. the organizer, the leader, the organizer of the land, the LA uh, Neurodiversity, Neurodiversity, right? LA Neurodiversity. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, tell me and, and tell me about your life, about how your work is going, and your, how you're managing your work and your support group. Do you have any hobbies? Like, what? Tell us about your life right now, and highlights, successes, challenges. Yes, of course. It's a lot. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right now, yeah, I'm really grateful and blessed with the job I have now. I mean, this job right now uh, that I have, it's still f- uh, brand new for me. I just started there, working there, uh, every 
yeah valentine's day of this year so in a way i kind of like had a date with a new job this year and <laughs> that's interesting. on valentine's you still yeah. the first day yeah yeah and yeah i told my uh supervisor wow. that too and <laughs> but yeah it was a monday i remember monday oh, okay, after the yeah. super bowl yeah uh, yeah 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 so interesting yeah so i i've been employed uh, with this uh, agency or organization, it's well known organization um, called the Salvation Army. I mean, everybody. I'm pretty sure You've someone had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're world uh, international, and yeah. So I, my current role is to help provide mental health support for uh, underserved adults who who struggle with like some sort of like substance use challenge whether it be alcoholism uh, drug use or a combination of of substances as well as like help them address any mental health challenge challenges they may be having as well or any like lingering trauma that they have and they do have a lot for sure now that that sounds like a intense job like a, that, that's not an easy thing to deal with now and you're able to how's that going are you able to uh handle it pretty well and how's that going so far it's not your first rodeo you've done case management before so right right yeah yeah okay (laughs) yeah and yeah i mean i've done case management uh yeah for a couple of years now um with this position uh however it's my first time in a while really since since I went to grad school at USC, mm-hmm. um, where I'm providing like uh, mental health support, uh, and yeah, where I provide, I meet with clients both individually and as well as groups, mm. and yeah, and I help them to become more aware as to where their substance use uh, challenges might have come from. Uh, as well as any mental health challenges they may have that that might come along with it too Mm. and little by little I help them to see what possible routes they can go okay and you've been there obviously since February so that's what now four months I think yeah a little over four four months what's your uh, what's your uh, your uh, personal life like what do you what do you like to do in your free time uh you were telling me before we started our podcast something that you were doing the other night but feel free to talk about like what what do you like to do for fun on your free time things like that okay yeah um yeah for fun i like to go on jogs i like to go land dancing like just last night i was Wait, land dancing? Is that what you said? Yeah, lat, Latin dancing. Oh, la- oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, land, dancing with land? <laughs> no, oh, Latin oh, 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 no, no, no. Oh, God, actually, imagine <laughs> so what you, that. what do you mean by Latin? <laughs> salsa or? Yeah, salsa. salsa. Uh, wow, cumbia I and, about you. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, bachata too. and But mainly bachata is my preferred uh, dancing style. But but okay, interesting. That That's that's fun. I mean, I, I haven't done that in a while. Maybe Maybe someday I'll get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, fun, that yeah. sounds like fun. Um, what was I gonna say? So you do that. Uh, do you like sports or no? Just do you, do you like any sports or is it just those things that you just mentioned? Yeah, mainly those things that I mentioned. 
Uh, I'm not much of a sports watcher uh, or That's a follower okay. to that. We'll, we'll forgive you. All, uh, all the guys out there, the girls don't care. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, please do. Yeah. <laughs> Although the only uh, the only sport I'll follow um, here and there is is my college football, USC, obviously, because I oh, went there for well, interesting. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, and, and whenever, especially when. When we go up against the Bruins, um, I'm especially uh, there to cheer on my fellow Trojans. And yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I go to, I, by the way, guys, full disclosure: I went to Lombi State. Shout out Lombi State. They're not they're not quite at your level, USC. But my dad <laughs> went to UCLA, and I always cheer for UCLA. I'm sorry. Oh no! <laughs> so well, oh no! Match, you know, we're gonna we won't be too friendly, maybe, but that's okay. Oh um, yeah. But <laughs> but anyway. Uh, that's cool, man. Do you do you live uh, with roommates, with your family, on your own? What, what's what's your your living situation like? I'm getting really personal. I'm sorry. Oh, you know, not, I'm not a problem. I know you about you. Uh, yeah. Uh, right now, I uh, yeah, I live on my own. I I have a uh, my own little studio uh, okay. that I I've, I've had like a little over a year now, and yeah, it's been a nice experience just being out on my own and mm. and just like feeling that independence okay. whereas most of my life I've either lived with family or I've lived with other roommates mm -hmm. and yeah those uh, situations have have had their pros and cons okay. uh, so does living on my on my own bed so far I've grown to like like living on my own um, more so far at least okay and what about your um, if, if you feel comfortable what what about your um, can you talk about friendships or romantic relationships uh perhaps you know in your life what successes or challenges whatever you feel comfortable sharing yeah of course um let's see yeah so i believe that with all the like like whatever yeah all the like progress i've made and like learning like the basics of like uh social communication mm -hmm. and just me also like being more aware of how my autism makes me see the world i've been better able to like better able to like um inform especially those who i try to like befriend how i might perceive things and that and me being autistic is just part of who I am mm -hmm. and that while I might sometimes uh, not catch on to certain social cues right away <coughs> if people bring like point them out to me then I'm more than happy to like make efforts to learn okay. as long as as they themselves they too like make efforts to to like understand me or the ways that I try to communicate too and yeah thankfully I've been able to like make especially like in recent years uh, like from graduate school and beyond I've been able to like make some really nice good friendships both those who are near diverse as well as those who are uh, near typical or where yeah, I'm just like really, really blessed with um, the, having those friendships, especially and yeah, and I've also like 
um, have to come across certain individuals who were like less than friendly, who I initially thought were friends, um, but yeah, but um, heck, that actually like happened as recent as last year, really, when I went through like my sister's loss to COVID, where yeah, I I thought I had like some good friends, well, it's just certain good friends, they're no longer in my life now. Um, because yeah, they were just like less than compassionate oh. towards me at uh, at the time and how I processed grief too. And I was open with these uh, former friends too about like my my autism, my grief, everything. And yet, yeah, just like I felt like they still tried to like think they were superior to me in some way. But again, I'm like, thankfully, I've grown to uh, forgive, send them best wishes and hopefully they themselves uh, grow more humble and mature in certain ways too and so that yeah I mean it wasn't always me that that was that was like the problem so to speak mm. it was their attitudes too well mainly their attitudes actually but okay. Okay. do you have um, do you have Facebook Instagram things like that I do yeah do you what do you think about do you use it a lot are you are you on there a lot or you just kind of have it just a little bit here and there you post here and there and what's your thoughts on those yeah i post here and there on facebook uh where i'm a little bit more involved in is on linkedin and uh instagram okay yeah and actually for my instagram um my ig page yeah my ig page is mainly i is mainly based off of my youtube channel near diverse journeys okay. and so if anybody wants to follow that uh i'll i do tend to like post periodically on my instagram um even though it's dedicated to my youtube channel i will also like post things about my personal life on there okay. too for those who want to who would like to follow me there and yeah, my username there is uh, Near Diverse Journeys altogether. Neurodiverse Journeys. Okay, and I'll put mm -hmm. that on the show on the notes too. Okay, very good. When I read about your story and just listening to your videos, I could see a lot of my same struggles. You know, and obviously our 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 conditions are a little bit different, right? They're not exactly the same, but but like you said, there's a lot of similarities. I feel like we have to, we have a little ways to go before we can catch up to you guys because there's this BIF diagnosis is really really recent mm. and nobody knows about it you know more people know about autism but still not neurodiversity and not your concepts that you're trying to promote right it's, those are still very new and I think that um, it looks like you're doing a great job and um, I just have nothing but uh, just respect and admiration for what you're doing I mean I just I, I hope that you continue on this path and that things continue to go well for you. That I'm really happy that you came on today. Thank you again, Raul, for coming today. Uh, and keep up the great work. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me again.